It's certainly not then inconceivable that the world will be radically changed by nanotechnology. It already has been by microtechnology. By building components measured in millionths of a metre, hugely complex silicon chips have been developed. But by the end of the decade, this silicon technology will start to run out of steam. The fundamental physical limits will be reached. Scientists will have to learn to build on the nano scale, a thousand times smaller than the microengineering of the present day chip. It's been a long-standing dream. As far back as 1959, the physicist Richard Feynman predicted a future where machines would be built atom by atom. His vision took a step closer to reality in 1985, when new molecular building blocks were discovered. Christened Buckminster Fullerene, or Buckyballs for short, it was a previously unknown form of carbon. The incredibly strong football-shaped molecule kick-started an atomic building boom. The Nobel Prize was awarded to the scientists who solved the problem of the buckyball structure. It almost looks like you're looking at stars in the sky. It was just such a fantastic moment that as I took the plane back, I was on such a high that I don't think, I think the aeroplane would have actually flown without the engines running. Well, Harry, are you still exci as excited about uh, the discovery? Well, uh, yes, I think every time I think about it and just focus on it, yes. It never, never loses its charm. Tell, tell us about the background to it. How did it develop? Um, in fact, I was interested in the uh, chemistry in stars. And um, in uh, 1985, with the group in, in, in uh, Rice University, Texas, we tried to simulate the chemistry that was going on in a star. And uh, this molecule popped out, uh, totally unexpected. What this molecule did was, was change our understanding of sheet materials, particularly graphite, but all, and also molybdenum sulfide and tungsten sulfides, because we now know that these sheet materials, on a small scale, are definitely unstable. They form round cages. They all do now. And uh, it's so obvious now we see it, but pre previously that we didn't know that. Uh, secondly, if you elongate these mo molecules, what you get is the famous nanotube. Here it is. Um, and this is perhaps going to be the, the most likely uh, form of these cages that's going to have an application. The, these are the carbon atoms? Yeah, you can imagine that as a, a sheet dots. of graphite that's rolled up in a tube, yeah. and then there's half of C60, 30 atoms on the end and 30 atoms on the other. So the white things are the, are the bonds? The, the white things bonds. are the bonds, are the electrons, and the black things are the carbon atoms. And um, the amazing thing about this material is that graphite is probably the strongest material that, that can be made, uh, certainly from atoms and electrons. And if there's some other phase, I'd like to know what it is. Um, but if you could produce um, bundles of these tubes and make girders out of them, then you would have a material which is 100 times stronger than steel, would be one-sixth the weight, uh, these are the emotive terms that people use. Uh, you could imagine building bridges that won't fall down in earthquakes. You could imagine building aeroplanes which are so strong and so light that if the engines failed, uh, they would just glide. Uh, perhaps the most likely applications are in electronics because these are perfect um, molecular wires. It's actually a single molecule. Okay? And if we can construct these um, with the right... Um, uh, diameter and what we call helicity because they have a helical pattern or they can 
from non-helical to helical to another type of non-helical structure, what we call a zigzag to an, an armchair structure, then we will have a, the, the wires that will be perfect for the next range of computers, the molecular computer. But we have major problems to solve. One of them being, how do we solder this molecule to another element or an element, a molecular element that behaves like a, an element on a chip. Sure, and when you use the word solder, you I mean, that's uh, yeah, just I an, mean, a metaphor. It's right? a metaphor, yes. Sure, we have I mean, to you've be got able chemically binding somewhere. That's exactly yeah. it. We have to learn how to do the chemistry at the ends to link it um, chemically or through electro uh, electrons or through bonds to the element. When, when you find them, though, they're all different lengths? Yes. So you, uh, so you can't really predict at the moment how you're going no, to... No, at this stage is a case of, um, of producing them, and we do that just by a simple carbon arc process, mm -hmm. and we sputter carbon from the, from the rods, and we find these tubes, and then you have to pick them one at a time up and put them there. Right. Now, then that could be done, uh, but I don't think that's going to be uh, the way forward. I think we've got to learn how to uh, govern the growth of these materials, and that's still a major problem. There's no doubt in my mind that we've got a big barrier to cross. Mm. But the long-term potential of uh, the, these fullerene structures is, uh, and nanotube structures is, uh, is quite amazing that, because they are representing a, th a very sophisticated, fo sophisticated form of self-assembly. If we had to sit and make each bond here individually, right, we would be a million years. But these things self-assemble. And, and how one controls self-assembly yeah. is uh, who, he who can control self-assembly sort of controls the future. Yeah. But that's what uh, biological systems do. Mm, yeah. Enzymes and things, exactly so, that. And yeah. um, I think that, I always think that what I would like to see is a sort of um, uh, genetically modified spider. You take this spider <laughs> that spins away, but if you can genetically modify it to spin carbon atoms and build a helix yeah. and just tell it, look, I want a certain diameter and a certain helicity, then we'll have these little spines that we're going around oh. building our computers. Well, of course, the way the biology does it is to read out the information from another molecule. Absolutely. From yeah. DNA, yeah. or RNA, that stores that information. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, so. your interest in biological applications, yeah. I mean, do you see scope for that with this material? Oh, tremendous. I think that on the biomolecule side, there's many things we can do. We can, for example, utilize some of those tubes to grow things inside them in a very controlled way. They might be purely inorganic uh, crystals of very low dimension, and these will have completely new properties because they're just two or three atoms across, mm -hmm. and they will probably follow the helical inside structure of the tube, hence giving it chirality and optical behavior that's uh, not around at the moment. We can grow uh, something I would think akin to um, nerve cells along some of these structures, opening up a whole realm of possibilities. Well, uh, buckyballs are clearly the building blocks of the nano world. To find out a bit more about what's involved when you work at this very small scale, we went to Cambridge. I'm Mark Welland, Professor of Nanotechnology at the University of Cambridge, and I engineer on a nanometer scale. A nanometer is about one ten thousandth of the diameter of a human hair. That's about the same as a string of five atoms. For comparison, if we take the distance between the Earth and the Sun to be one metre, then a football field will be just one nanometre long. If you really want to look at atoms and molecules, what you need 
is one of these, a scanning tunnelling microscope. This microscope was awarded the Nobel Prize in 1986. This particular one, which is developed jointly with IBM Zurich, Jim Jimchewski, is incorporated inside a machine like this one. In this system, we're depositing fullerene molecules onto silicon surfaces to make a completely new type of device.